live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and this is the Bose Nose Show with Jay Bozovich, and I am live from beautiful downtown Florence, Oregon today, where it's been an on and off rainy day here on the Oregon coast. Back to kind of a frog choker last night, and they're finally, finally, the Oregon Department of Forestry is is closing fire season as of tomorrow. So all you backyard burning aficionados, I think that El Rapa is going to let you burn your burn piles starting on Saturday. So at least the uh, the drought is over in Oregon and winter has begun. Of course, we only have two seasons out here in Oregon. We have winter and construction season. So hopefully they'll be wrapping up some of those pro- projects along Highway 126 there coming into Benita and we can uh, have a clean drive. So I'm here today in the Bridgeport Market, and it's a really nice day here because I'm here with Jay Cable, the owner of Bridgeport Market, and he's got a pretty nice place. And Jay, tell us a little bit about your market that you own here right on the waterfront at the dock next to the boat ramp in Florence. Well, we are the Bridgeport Market, and, and Jay, we are the world headquarters for the Bridgeport Market. We're not some little satellite outfit. We are the world headquarters right here in Florence. And we started out as a convenience store, and then we've sort of expanded into a really well-stocked wine shop as well. We've got wines from a uh, great selection from Oregon, and then, of course, Washington, Pacific Northwest, and around the world. And then we're also a deli. We have great sandwiches that we offer every day, both hot and cold sandwiches. We have a great breakfast menu. And then right now, Jay, you know, we're in fishing season. So the fishermen are out there catching those wonderful Chinook salmon. And so we're also a bait shop. We offer uh, bait and fishing tackle. Uh, you know, one of our mottos is if we haven't got it, you just don't need it. So we're right at the boat launch, like Jay said, right here in uh, beautiful uh, downtown Florence. We're at the east end of the boardwalk, right where it meets the boat launch. And, uh, you know, come on down and check us out. We've got a great selection of just about everything. I really enjoy your Rubens and your Cuban sandwiches. And, of course, you do have microbrew on tap. So you've got just about everything I want when it comes to, to a store. You know, you've got beer and you've got good, good sandwiches. Uh, and you definitely have the view. I mean, you can sit here and watch the boats come in and out, the fishermen pull up the dock, uh, look across the ways where they have the cleaning station so you get to see the actual big fish they bring in. Uh, pretty neat place to come and spend some time on an afternoon uh, here in Florence on the beautiful Oregon coast in Lane County, uh, one of the great little spots here in Oregon. And, and, you know, I noticed you have all sorts of wines here. Are are you kind of one of these folks that really knows a lot about wine, Jay? Well, I wouldn't say that I know everything there is to know about wine, but we certainly have a great selection. And um, I don't know if I should say this out loud, but most of the wines that we've had here in the store, I have tasted. And so that's one of the selections that we use. If, it, if I like it, I usually carry it. And uh, so I've tried most of the wines, and I can help you select 
uh, the wine that uh, that you want for a special occasion or just uh, for everyday drinking or or whatever. So I wouldn't say I'm an expert on wine, but I do know a little bit about it, and I can I can help you pick out a a special bottle either as a gift or just for yourself for easy drinking. And, and I'm, I'm sure you can pair that with salmon, and depending on how they want to fix it. Or, you know, I think I was down here during crab season, and you actually were actually cooking crabs, I think, for some of the folks that brought them in. That's one of the services that we offer here. We not only rent the crab here and sell the bait, but we'll also cook your crab for you when you bring it back in. Wow, full service. You better. Yeah. So everything you'd ever want here at, at the Bridgeport Market. And there's kind of, yeah, there's a Facebook page for the market too, isn't it? Yes, we do have a Facebook page, so you can check us out. And we've got pictures of some of the catches that have been brought in and that sort of thing. Wonderful. So Bridgeport Market here, it's not quite an old town. We're just across the parking lot from Old Town. You know, go, go upriver a bit towards the uh, marina and the, and the uh, boat ramp, and you'll find Bridgeport Market there in, in the lower level of the uh, – the condos, Bridgeport Landing, Bridge, Bridgeport Landing condos, and uh, it, it's really a, a nice place uh, place to sit and watch the river go by. Boats pull in and out, and uh, sips an adult beverage or just a regular beverage. They've got all the beverages you'd ever want, and uh, have a snack, have a great sandwich, and uh, really enjoy enjoy the atmosphere. Yes, it's a it's a great place to come and watch the watch the fishermen bring in their catch. That's always exciting to watch them load and unload their boats, and and uh, it's just a fun place to be in the afternoon when the when the fishermen come back in. So, are you seven days a week? Uh, what are, what are your hours? Uh, we're seven days a week right now. We're six o'clock in the morning till uh, five thirty six o'clock at night, and uh, every day except Christmas and New Year's, I think Thanksgiving. Ah, yeah, <laughs> really good. Well, thank you, Jay, for for hosting me here this afternoon on on the coast. As we get into a free-for-all program where we really want you to decide where the program goes. So anyone out there wants to get in on the show, just call 646-721-9887 and just press 1, and that lets Robin, the call screener, know that you want to get in and speak. And it, it really um, lets us have a conversation that, that we can we can get into whatever you want to talk about. And kind of the reason I'm down here in Florence today is I am participating in the State of the Startup celebration tonight, which is kind of a one-year anniversary of the Oregon Rain uh, project starting up here in Florence uh, and trying to help rural entrepreneurs here on on the coast in West Lane County get going and get things going. So it'd be a pretty interesting celebration here. So if you want, we can talk a little bit about rural economic development, which is something uh, I think is kind of near and dear to my, to my producer as Robin has actually uh, made use of some of rain services as she's trying to get a business off the ground besides just posting my show for me uh, and her day job. But it's really, um, it's a good it's a good thing to get folks that want you know have an idea think they might want to get into business to actually get them a mentor and and some some guidance on how to do all that because 
it's pretty easy to uh, lose your way or get just kind of get frustrated with with what it takes to actually do all that. You know, I'm, I kind of have a little bit of experience in this as my wife is an, a rural entrepreneur. Uh, I've mentioned before maybe that Elizabeth owns a magazine, or we actually co-own it, but she's actually the one that runs the magazine, and we run it out of our 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 residence there in Elmira, Oregon, and we actually employ four folks that are from the local Fern Ridge area, and we started that about eight years ago, and it brings about a half million dollars a year into Lane County from all over the world, really, because the magazine subscriptions go as far as Australia, we have subscribers in Australia. So, you know, we're bringing that business here, our printers in Oregon, and we employ local Oregonians. And it's those those individuals that want to get that business going, that have that unique idea that we really want to help. And I tell you, there were times when I wish that maybe we had had a little bit more knowledge stepping into business. Things like copyright law that you just don't think you really you know, need to know that much about, and we've had to learn quite a bit about copyright law, uh, employment law, you know, having to deal with unemployment claims and, and various things like that. You know, they don't really crop up until they crop up, and then you're like, hmm, what do I do about this? And just all the planning for that, it, you know, it, that's really what, uh, Rain and some of these other services like Ferdy Lab and and the LCC Biz Center and and, a, and Lane Workforce Partnership can really help somebody that's thinking about starting a business. You know, with some of that mentorship and guidance, so you don't make some of the mistakes maybe that um, you know that or have some of the issues that I've had to deal with in the eight years that we've owned this business. We've been fortunate, though, that we, you know, haven't had any fatal flaws and we've been able to survive, still employ those those four people, still be bringing in that money annually to Lane County. But it's, you know, it's always a struggle for folks and it's always a little bit daunting to, to think about being your own boss. But I can't tell you there's nothing more rewarding than being your own boss, especially if you do something in a field you enjoy and have some motivation around uh, nothing like, you know, with my wife in particular, her magazines about uh, fine needlework and needlepoint and embroidery. And that's something she's always loved to do. She's always been around magazines as a graphic designer, but you know, she's all, she's done magazines about everything from the plastics industry to uh, horses, to uh, collecting antique maps, uh, at one point, nothing about something she really was interested in, and now she's running a, a magazine about the business, about her her greatest interest, needlework, and uh, it really allows her to uh, enjoy going to work every day, dealing with something that she enjoys doing personally, and is interested in. So, I you know. Being an entrepreneur can be a great thing, but it can also be pretty scary to step out there. And tonight's uh, event here in Florence at the City Light Cinema starting at 530 will be kind of all about the first year of trying to help entrepreneurs down here on the, in the West Lane County and along the coast. And there will actually be four entrepreneurs that will be speaking about some of their experience over the last year. Uh, 
in working with the rain folks. Plus, uh, you know, you'll have to hear from me and, and the mayor of Florence and a few other people. But I, I promise I'm not speaking for no more than five minutes. And I'm and I really I think I've got my my part down to about two minutes. So get to listen to me now. I won't take up too much of your time tonight if you come to the City Light Cinema to, to hear about that. Um, but something is happening here in Florence, and it really uh, is a great thing that Lane County has been able to participate in. We actually funded this outreach through some video lottery money and a grant we, we gave the rain of $50,000 about a year ago. And we're continuing that partnership and working on rural prosperity through our rural prosperity initiative. Really want to help people start businesses. We want to help some of the small businesses that have been started expand and, you know, keep and grow our local businesses uh, is so important. In fact, uh, it was interesting before I went on the air here, I was having a conversation with uh, Jay Cable, the owner of this business that I'm sitting in here on in Florence, Bridgeport Market, about Measure 97, one of the favorite topics of Robin and I uh, on on the show, and just how that may actually make it really difficult for uh, us as an economic development agency, you know, that part of Lane County's uh, work to not only attract businesses that may want to locate here in Lane County in Oregon, but also to try and keep businesses here. We kind of saw when Measure 66 and 67 passed several years ago that were aimed at higher incomes and businesses to get more tax dollars out of them. I was relating the story to Jay that uh, Kendall Auto Group, which was located here in Lane County and headquartered here in Lane County, moved their headquarters to Boise, Idaho after that passed and is now headquartered out of Boise, Idaho to avoid uh, some of the punitive portions of Measure 66 and 67. And I'm concerned with passage of Measure 97 and that uh, that gross receipts tax, which is a hidden tax, which I hate hidden taxes to start with, it's going to create a, an ability for other states to recruit um, folks out of the area. So again, this is a free-for-all show, so hope to hear from folks out in the audience. Again, it's 646-721-987. And just press 1, and that lets Robin know you want to get in on the conversation. Or you can uh, contact me through Facebook, or you can just send us an email at talk at krbnradio.net. You can do that anytime. Or if you're in the Florence area, stop on down by Bridgeport Market here and uh, come back by the wine, and uh, I'll switch back over speakerphone like I was talking to Jay, and we can have a little conversation. It's kind of a little bit strange that I'm passing a phone back and forth like a like I was like a mic on a radio remote, but that's uh, amazing technology nowadays that I can do the show with a telephone. Uh, <laughs> so come on by and we can talk about uh, economic development in rural areas. We can talk about Measure 97. We can talk about PERS and the upcoming uh, 800 and some odd million dollar bill that's going to come due in the next biennium for the legislature on PERS. Or we can talk about the $1.2 billion bill that's going to come due on the Obamacare 
expansion of Medicaid in Oregon for the, for, the, for them. So there's about a $2 billion shortfall they're projecting in the state budget on just those two items. And funny, they're trying to raise Measure 97. Hmm, wonder where that money's going to go. <laughs> so um, you can talk about that, or we can talk about you know some more local issues. Uh, we can we can talk about the fact that we are starting our parks master plan process, which we kind of put on hold after it kind of got a, a, a shaky start about a year ago. And I know folks here in the Florence area are kind of interested in, in the uh, outcome of what happens to Ocean Woods, which is an undeveloped 40-acre parcel that, that Lane County owns within the uh, Florence urban growth boundary. And it was pretty controversial because the, the staff uh, was actually hoping that they we could sell that parcel off uh, and use the proceeds to pay for some uh, deferred maintenance in other parks and capital improvements to other parks because it's a park that really doesn't do Lane County's park system very much good. Um, but that was kind of controversial because the folks that live around it kind of want to see it stay natural. So it's kind of like who should really own that parcel. And if you're interested in getting involved in that process, Lane County right now is forming a citizen task force that will actually be helping us develop that parks master plan. And we're taking applications for that citizen. And if you go to Lane County's website, uh, you'll be able to find it, find a, a, a way there. If you just enter uh, parks master plan in the search button, uh, I'm sure you'll be able to find a way to get to that uh, application be on that citizen task force um, pretty easily. If not, you can just contact me if you're interested, and I'll connect you with the application uh, to get on there, because we'd love to get some interested citizens on that task force. Lane County's had a pretty good um, success lately with utilizing citizen task force to come to pretty reasonable solutions to some pretty controversial issues. Uh, recently, we adopted a new uh, herbicide use in our, our county right-of-ways uh, policy that we use the citizens task group to uh, come to a consensus where we had folks from the uh, anti-chemical side of the spectrum to uh, farmers that wanted us to really deal with the, the vegetation in the right-of-ways and that group came to a consensus recommendation to this to the board and it, we voted unanimously to adopt that just a couple weeks ago to so where we used a uh, we had a large event task force that made recommendations to the board on how we deal with large events in our county parks a couple of years ago. Folks might remember the famous um, kaleidoscope rave that happened out at Mount Pisgah and kind of got away from the county uh, with the noise and, and the problems that caused. And uh, we set up a task force of citizens. They spent almost a year taking public testimony from and also you know had stakeholders involved from event promoters uh, to citizens that live near parks and came out with a uh, recommendation on how we should uh, go forward with large events in parks and which parks they're suitable for and what kind of events we could hold because there's some events that are pretty big that are pretty popular like uh, we hold an annual triathlon at Richardson Park um, that's very popular. 
know, there was the Dirty Dash down down at, at Mount Pisgah. So it's kind of like, how can we, you know, keep some of the good large events and 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 allow for that while kind of keeping the kaleidoscopes from happening ever again. So we want to be involved in that process um, for our parts master planning overall. You know, like that's the long-term look of what's Lane County Parks going to look like in 20 years. You know, are we going to be a system that's all campground parks because that's what we're really good at running? Or are we going to be more involved in trying to provide um, neighborhood-style parks where it's, you know, ball fields and playgrounds? Uh, I don't know if that's really kind of in our wheelhouse, but if that's what, where the public wants us to head, it's going to require us having a different strategic plan for parks over the next, you know, five years or so to work towards that 20-year goal. You know, because that's what a master plan looks at is 20 years out, what do we want Lane County Parks to look like? And you know, it may be something that people go, well, I may not even be living by the time that comes around. But if you don't have that long-term goal and then a short-term strategic plan to work towards those goals, you're kind of wandering around without a rudder on your ship. And then you're spending money that isn't efficient and aimed towards anything. So really important to have these long-term master plans and shorter-term strategic plans to guide how we spend taxpayer resources. And it's really important to have the public weigh in on what that goal is and what those goals are. Because I should say, sometimes it's multiple goals and maybe different goals for different parks. And that's what we got to look at across the, across the county. So again, this is uh, the Bose Nose Show, and it is a free-for-all show. So if you want to get in and steer the conversation to a subject you want to talk about, give us a call at 646-721-9887. And just press 1 if you want to get in on the conversation. Or you can email us at talk at krbnradio.net. Or you can come down to Bridgeport Market today because that's where I'm doing the show from. I'm sitting here back by the uh, wine with my cell phone plugged in my ear and a couple computer screens in front of me. And uh, if you come by and kind of flag that you want to talk, uh, I'll switch over to my speakerphone and we'll have a conversation about whatever you want to talk about. So we can talk about tobacco policy. We can talk about uh, we can talk about public art. And I, I, I know this is a subject that, that kind of makes my producer Robin's blood boil a little bit. But there was an article in the paper the other day that spent over $200,000 to put it in a 60-foot-high sculpture called The Flame at, at Gateway and I-5 and Beltline there. Uh, and, you know, it brings up the whole subject of using taxpayer money to buy art and and subsidizing artists through taxes versus having people and artists have to make their way with their talents and be commercially viable, you know, out with the public. You know, um, I don't think that at least with, um, you know, rock and roll or country music that we've got taxpayer money going to pay for uh, buying albums from a country artist or a rock and roll artist. They're expected to get out there and compete with all the other artists and, you know, 
show that their town is something worth purchasing and have people come to their concerts and buy their music. But for some reason, it seems like particularly with sculptures, government has decided that we need to buy sculptures and put them out in public areas with taxpayer money instead of maybe waiting until some foundation might want to donate a sculpture to a public place um, with private money. Um, I don't get it. Make, makes me kind of wonder um, and wonder if it's the best use of some of those tax funds. At least part of what this sculpture in Springfield's paid with is transient room taxes through um, Travel Lane County and and the city of Springfield's decision process where it's the travel industry collecting those taxes and there's some connection with putting up the sculpture and the travel industry that they get to decide, you know, the travel industry has input on spending that money. But um, it's really uh, one of those things where I'm just not quite sure it, it, it's a good use of money. Unfortunately, I think ODOT puts the money in there too, which that makes me wonder, you know, I'd rather have ODOT spend that money on, on patching potholes in, in territorial highway <laughs> down in Lorraine, uh, Lorraine area than that. Um, today is a uh, free-for-all day. If you want to get in on a conversation, just punch one on on the uh, on your your phone dial. Or uh, first, you got to dial six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven. Then press one. It lets Robin know you want to get in on the conversation. Uh, if you want to just call in on your phone to listen rather than listen, if you're getting up from your computer, uh, we're mobile. You can just carry us around on your cell phone by calling that number. You can listen over the phone if you have unlimited uh, minutes and, and data. Uh, works fine. Actually, you're just using minutes that way and not data. Um, but today's a free-for-all day. We can talk about any of those things. And I know um, Robin, do we have do we have a caller waiting with a question there? Looks like. Yeah, we got, we got a caller yeah. for you, Jay. So uh, bring them online and. All right, uh, Mark, you're on the air with uh, Lake Lane County Commission Jay Bosvich. Hi, Jay. So yeah, I'm I'm curious about this art project. I was kind of blown blown away when I saw the dollar figure attached to that. Um, you know, I'm all for art enhancing you know our community and and you know art is important. Artists are important, but um, yeah, the the extreme dollar figure on that. I'm just wondering who makes those decisions? I mean, what what are some of the names attached to the the acceptance of a project like that? Well, I think some of that came through the city of Springfield and the transient room tax they collect. So the decision making body there is the Springfield City Council and the mayor. Okay. Uh, on the expenditure of Springfield's transient room taxes. Some of it may have come through Travel Lane, but I'm not positive about that. And Travel Lane's got a, a large board that's made up of a lot of the, the uh, travel industry folks, from um, hotel folks to you know touring company folks. So uh, there's a certain amount of money that comes to them. But I think the majority of it came through St. Springfield City Council, and then some of it came from ODOT. And that's—I don't know where the bureaucrat is that makes those decisions. So when we're talking about tax, when we're talking about taxpayer money, is that state tax, 
uh, you know, city tax? Well, transient room tax is, is collected when you stay overnight in in uh, Lane County. There's a, okay. uh, there's a tax that's on your hotel bill, on your campground bill, uh, and even now Airbnb uh, is soon to start collecting transient room taxes even on some of these, uh, you know, sort of uh, virtual home homestay that are, that that act like a hotel, and that's why it's called you know transient room tax. It's meant for overnight stays. You don't get we don't collect it on folks that are renting places by the month or something like that. Um, and that's been in place for a long time. And the whole point of that tax is it, it's supposed to be spent promoting tourism and putting as they put as they say putting heads in beds. So it it's a tax that's on a specific industry and it's designated for specific use. So spending it on art that's going to make the community look nicer and kind of establish um, a, quote, gateway to the community, I guess has some nexus in tourism, but um, I'm not quite sure it's one of the strongest ones. Some, you know, I'd be more some of the stuff where they've had like the Simpsons mural and some right. of the, the Springfield Simpson stuff has actually been shown to have generated people coming here, you know, for, for specifically to see the Springfield right. you know, around the Simpsons show. I don't know if this flame is actually going to bring people into town just to see that flame. <laughs> and then I, I read they're going to, they're going to build like a little, area around it where people can stand and look at it. I mean, that's like a super busy corner, not a place where you want to draw pedestrians to stand around, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of an interesting thing. So, you know, what, it, you know, what really gets me is the ODOT money comes from a requirement that all large um, public works projects, once they get over a certain size, have to put 1% into art. And, you know, when you get into uh, the state builds a new new office building for a state uh, agency, they got to spend 1% for art. If you go out to uh, the the new state hospital there south of Junction City, there's art out there that was 1% of their total budget is what they have to spend on that. So when you talk about, like, the interchange project there at I-5 that was, you know, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, They've had to spend a huge amount on artwork. You know, so that's you know, as you got, you know, you look at the the bridge over the Lamont River recently, and they had to put those two great big art installations on on either end. That you, I, I have yet to really get a good look at them because when you're doing 55 miles an hour going by them, and they're in the center median, it's pretty hard to look at them. <laughs> right. As you go yeah. by, but you know it. it the insanity that there's this requirement to provide art as part of a public works project is just that's one percent less concrete they can buy. One percent, you know, the size of the project's diminished by one percent because it's set aside for this crazy artwork. But you know that I have much more objection to. If the city of Springfield decides the best way to attract tourists is to spend two hundred thousand dollars on a sculpture. Then they've got to answer to the uh, the hotel industry in their town and the citizens about whether that's the best expenditure. 
Right. At least you, know, you have somebody locally to talk to. I'm, I'm definitely not the person who knows much of anything about art. Um, yeah. But what I do know, uh, I'm, I'm a friend of your producer there, by the way, and I know that she's pretty yeah. handy with a torch. And I'm going to tell you, I'll bet, I'll bet Robin with a rattle can, spray paint, and some welding materials could put that up for a heck of a lot less than $236,000. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Any changing 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 gears on that? Sure. I was wondering if you know anything about the royal modal development. The uh, repeat that again. I was having a little trouble hearing you there. It's the uh, the royal like Royal Avenue. Yeah. Modal modal development. Royal mobile. Modal M O D A L. Oh, modal. Oh, oh, like the nodal. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. The uh, city of Eugene's all hot and bothered about doing nodal development in their um, in in all their master planning, and they and, uh, and they've got a node identified there on Royal Avenue. Right. Yeah. I, it, it's it's part of this um, what I like to call neo traditionalist planning that has been taught in the uh, landscape architecture and planning schools and architecture schools in our universities across the country, where they, they've fallen in love with the idea that we need to go back to the turn of the century. What's kind of funny about this is, is there's zoning to go back to a time when there wasn't zoning. And neighborhoods developed, and if the residential area got big enough, somebody would open a corner store in a, in a, you know, expand a, a residence or, or whatever to serve that neighborhood where they could go and get a loaf of bread and whatever else because in those days there weren't grocery stores and, and as much refrigeration. Um, and businesses and all that located within walking distance of their workforce or, or at least horse and carriage distance. So there was a lot of mixed-use development. And, and the idea of the this nodal development is to bring all that mixed use together so that you get these, quote, 20-minute walking neighborhoods that used to occur naturally before there were automobiles. Right. And, well, and, and, what, and, what I'm wondering and, is... Go ahead. No, go, go ahead. What, what are you wondering about the nodal development? Well, what, what I'm wondering is because, like, back in, I'm going to say 1998... Um, I was living on a property which sat right smack dab in the middle of that, mm-hmm. and we and we had all this information coming our way about all this stuff that was going to happen and uh, meetings over at uh, I think it was uh, Willamette High School and and all these designs and well this is on the way and we're going to be putting this this road that's going to connect uh, over by. Um, Meadowview School that connects Roosevelt and and you know they even started uh, digging that out and putting sewer lines in and and so you know I I own property there and I'm thinking well you know I really don't want to be a part of that and and I moved and that was 1998 and here it is 2016 and you know obviously the economy went in the tank but. Uh, so I'm wondering, I guess my question is, do you know anything about this still being 
on the books as part of you know uh, the plan? I think it is what the city of Eugene would like to get to eventually. I think particularly with the Royal Node, they ran into wetlands and the whole issue of wetland preservation and mitigation, and it kind of destroyed the ability to do a node out in that area. Um, mm. I was I was with Eugene Water and Electric Board when they were pushing that to a node in 98, looking at whether or not, you know, how we're going to provide water service and all out in that area. And the one thing that was pretty clear to me, because I had spent a whole career up to that point working for private developers on the private sector side before I moved over to, to eWeb was that was a lot of land out there that was going to be very tough to develop since the wetland laws changed. You know, if it, if it had been developed, you know, maybe 20 years sooner before wetlands got to be an issue, <laughs> but yeah. now it's going to be very, very difficult to, to develop that area now. But that's essentially, I, I you know, you've heard of the the, the South Willamette Special Area Zone, um, or Swazi, whatever they call that thing, um, South Willamette Area Zone uh, that they were trying to do down there about uh, 30th, 29th Avenue and Willamette Street with all the, the upzoning and, and all that. That was that's another node that they had identified at the time they adopted all these nodes, and that 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 rezoning of that area was to implement that node and you can see what happened with that and how the citizens fought it which unfortunately as the Envision Eugene process was going along their assumptions about not expanding the urban growth boundary are based on on developing those nodes and the, and the density they'll get from those nodal developments so they're kind of back at the drawing board with Envision Eugene because the, the people don't really, you know, the nodes sound great when you're just talking about them in concept and the planners are all like, yeah, this is the way we should develop up, not out, and 20-minute neighborhoods and all that sounds great until it's your neighborhood. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> if, I'm not, if I'm not hogging too much time, I've got a, a couple other topics. Sure. Go for it. It's uh, free for all. If somebody else doesn't call in, you got it. Okay. Uh, Uber. Do you see Uber coming into uh, our area? Eventually. Um, the city of Eugene just recently adopted or came to some agreements with Uber and adopted some policies around uh, what they call um, network transportation companies, I think. I think that's what they call them, NTCs or NTUs. I, I forget what the initials stand for. Um, where they, uh, they're they going to allow people to use personal cars. They don't all have to be the same color and have a light on top and post the rates on the outside of the vehicle um, like a cab company. But they kept in some restrictions about um, having to do background checks locally and all that stuff that Uber can't live with. So Uber is like, Thanks for allowing us to come into your area, but we don't think we're moving in here at this time. So until the city is willing to kind of let up on some of their uh, local requirements they're going to put on Uber and Lyft and any of these other companies, I don't see them coming in right away. But there's a lot of pressure for the city to let them come in because it's becoming an economic development issue for Lane County yeah. in that, you know, you talk to the, you know, we're promoting 
main, you know, particularly Eugene, is the Silicon Shire, where we've got 400 tech startups and, and small and tech companies in the Eugene area. It's becoming pretty much San Jose North um, in some ways. And we've got this direct flight to San Jose now from the airport. The only problem is, is those tech executives and tech employees that are used to San Jose and San Francisco are used to just picking up their phones with Uber and Lyft and getting a ride anywhere they want to go. They come to Eugene and try and get a ride. They can't. It's like, what's going on? <laughs> right. Yeah, I can see that. So. All right. So it, it's one of those things where um, it's going to make, you know, I was talking about Measure 97 making it hard to recruit. The fact that we don't have Uber in our largest city in Lane County is an economic disadvantage to us attracting companies to Lane County. And, you know, we had, I asked, uh, we had a report from Travel Lane County uh, at our board meeting last week, and I asked specifically, what about Uber? Is it is it a problem for the travel industry? And they're starting to feel the crunch uh, of tourists are used to coming to a town and being able to, to go out to a bar and enjoy the town and adult beverage and then just use their Uber app to get back to their hotel or their Airbnb place of, of stay. And you can't do that here in Eugene. So I think the, uh, the city council is going to have to relent and, and be a little bit more flexible with their rules and, and see if we can get these um, network transportation companies where they're, they're an app, um, a little bit more flexibility and we'll get them established here. But I think we'll, we'll see Uber here probably in, in, in a year to two years. Okay, great. All right, last topic. What do you know about the, the current status of the Civic Stadium property? Uh, only what I read in the newspapers uh, so much. Uh, just that they've started some of the demolition there of what was left standing uh, after the fire. And um, I know they've been in major fundraising and design of the new facilities, the, the foundation that is taking that on. And I, I know as much as you know if you're reading the Register Guard or watching the local news stations. Okay. So not, it's, a, it's a city problem. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I see I, it I just sitting there as a wasteland for years, you know. I mean, that's yeah. how things yeah. go around here. Yeah. I, I was all for the, the, the version that when Fred Meyer was thinking about jumping in there and developing that commercially to its highest and best use. Um, but, you know, one of the things I believe in really strongly is government on the most local level possible. And I don't believe as a county we should step in and dictate to a city uh, a local decision. So that's what the local folks wanted to do. And, and sometimes you have to let the local folks do what they want to do. Right. Uh, yeah, so I wouldn't want the state coming in and, and, and superseding the county on a decision that's outside of the city limit, you know, say out in, in my neck of the woods in Elmira, uh, a local decision in unincorporated Lane County, just as I don't like the federal government dictating um, policies down to the state level or even down to the local level like some of the, these new floodplain rules they're proposing. So I, I try and stay out of Civic Stadium, uh, the minutia of it. I did have what I liked 
thought I could see there, but um, yeah, that was up to the uh, 4J school board and the city council to try and figure out how, what to do with that property. So okay, I wish them luck with it. Um, it's a it's a nice piece of property located in a really good location, but uh, we'll see what happens over the years whether they're successful with it or not. I thought of one more, <laughs> yeah. and as you mentioned, you're a former former eWeb, and maybe yeah. you still have some some ties there. Um, at, at what point do you see that whole eWeb property being um, vacated? Uh, with a move to the Roosevelt property by eWeb and the other company or two that are in the rest of that property? Um, that's probably at least um, four to five years out, partly because they've got to build the infrastructure to move. There's facilities on the fourth floor of eWeb's headquarter building that are secure control facilities for the electrical system in Eugene. You know, their, their, their control system for that, and they also have their trading, their power trading floor there at that building, and a few other things where, you know, because that was the original headquarters, all of the communication systems for most of the water and electric system are spoke into that spot, and then that's the hub where everything's controlled from. Mm -hmm. One of the things they need to do is rebuild some of those communication systems to to, to be linked out there to Roosevelt, have that ready to flip the switch on before they move out, if you know what I mean? Got but it, one yeah. of the things that will allow them to do is to build the new control systems, and that's also where eWeb's uh, server farm is for their, their Internet and uh, computer systems is on the third floor of that building. Um, that also needs to be moved out to Roosevelt. So it's kind of they'll be able to build all that stuff state-of-the-art, though, Whereas they've been having to slowly try, you know, with anything IT, it it's out of date in less than five years. <laughs> and they, they're constantly fighting the battle of trying to um, update stuff while it's in service. This will give them an opportunity to build, um, you know, a significant uh, system out at Roosevelt that will be state-of-the-art when they switch it on um, and and stop trying to upgrade older systems there at the headquarters building. But that will take time, and I met, and I estimate that to be about four. First, they're going to have to come to an agreement with some entity to to purchase that that property from them, and then, then knowing it, then they got to do the the infrastructure work to be ready to move out to Roosevelt, and then then actually make the move, which I think is going to be a, somewhere in so a four to five year. Can that Roosevelt facility, as it sits today, accommodate everything, or would they have to build more on that property? They'd have to build another building on that property. They're, they're, mm -hmm. The original plans were to move the entire utility to that property, and it was going to be in two buildings, an admin built, admin customer service building, you know, which has the ability for the public to walk into the lobby, versus the um, engineering and operations building and some of the other buildings on that site w which the public can't walk into without an escort. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're, the doors are uh, secured and, and, you know, card reader controlled and all that good stuff um, because, that you know, it's a critical piece of infrastructure and after 9-11, we just don't leave that kind of stuff unguarded anymore. Right, yeah. That's not a very... Uh 
user-friendly customer service area of town compared to being yeah, downtown on the waterfront. But yeah, which is one of the reasons why you know when I was at eWeb, I kind of was was pushing for the whole utility move to Roosevelt, but leave what I would call like a a, a branch office of a bank size footprint somewhere close to the bus station downtown. Yeah. Uh, so that low-income folks could reach it easily, but they just need basically a couple of teller windows for folks to pay their bills, and a couple of small offices off to the side, for folks to talk about, you know, late payments and 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 dealing with low-income assistance, and um, also folks that want to get, um, a, you know, financial assistance with uh, energy upgrades to their houses and stuff like that. So it looked just like a bank branch, and there were plenty of them that were kind of at that that time period uh, closing their offices in downtown would have been pretty easy to, to lease up an old branch building there close to the bus station. Right. Um, and, and then move the entire facilities out there to Roosevelt would have probably been the, the, the most economic thing to do at the time because they're wasting a lot of money to travel between Roosevelt and downtown right now um, with every, you know, HR folks and operations folks having to get down there and back and forth for meetings. It's just, it's not an efficient way to run a utility. Right. All right, Jay, well, I appreciate your time. Thanks, Robin, for uh, having me on, and uh, we'll talk to you again. All right, Mark. Well, thanks for coming on and, and participating in a free-for-all show here, and you brought up some topics that I didn't even put in the list of topics. So it's always great to get somebody to call and talk about what they want to talk about versus what Jay and Robin want to talk about. So thanks All for calling, right, well, Mark. Glad you have the forum to do that. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that was just some interesting topics there. We went, ran the gamut from, from Civic Stadium to uh, public art to uh, nodal development and Envision Eugene. Uh, kind of interesting because, you know, people probably don't realize that Lane County, one of the things we have to do is co-adopt just about every uh, cities master plan all the 12 incorporated cities um, across the, the county because they usually involve um, planning for land outside the city limits that's in between the urban growth boundary and the actual incorporated city uh, and that area is actually under Lane County's control at the time so we have to co-adopt their master plan so we're involved in the Envision Eugene process as a co-adopter uh, before it goes up to the state for them to approve uh, the master plan. So do pay a little bit of attention to those, those master plans for things like Envision Eugene. And, you know, it's kind of interesting watching that whole process in about a year and a half ago when the um, new population projections came out, which showed they were going to have to expand their uh, urban growth boundary if they adopted the new population growth projections, there came to be an agreement between the home builders and the development community and, and the uh, city and some of the um, anti-development community that they were going to, instead of using the new figures, they were going to keep going on the path they were on rather than restarting the process and try to adopt some urban reserve to allow for that future growth potential. But fortunately, not a whole lot of work's been done on that in 18 months, and I think some of the folks from the uh, home builder development community are getting a little bit impatient about that pro progress. 
So I hope uh, I hope that we can get things moving ahead on the Envision Eugene process, not have it all kind of fall apart and, and have to be restarted. And geez, we're you know eight years into the process now, nine years into the process. I you know restarting it would be a nightmare. Um, so we'll see where that goes in the future. Uh, it'd be really nice to have it have it done and move ahead because one of the biggest issues for economic development as I started the program out talking about rural economic development is lack of affordable housing in Lane County and Oregon in general, which is driven up by what I like to call the cost of dirt. Um, the price of land for a developer to buy and make into either apartments or subdivision, which ultimately becomes a house, is is just going through the roof because raw land is in very short supply because cities can't move fast enough to expand their urban growth boundaries and annex new property to have a supply, a decent supply of buildable land to keep the price of land down. And when land costs a lot of money, it's really hard to justify building in the starter end of housing. So what happens is developers get a piece of property that they're paying, you know, they're already eighty to a hundred thousand dollars per lot into it just on the land cost before they start sinking, you know, building roads and sewers and everything else into it. Then they build a house on it. You got to start selling houses at three hundred and fifty thousand to five hundred thousand dollars a piece to make a decent profit. You can't be selling in the two hundred and twenty-five to 250 affordable end uh, that might allow a, a young couple with a couple kids, um, on, you know, where they both work to actually afford a house. And uh, that's a real issue for, uh, and particularly when we get out here in the Florence area where I'm broadcasting from now at Bridgeport Market, um, where it's a resort area. And if land is not that available, and at the same time you're in a resort area, which artificially inflate the cost of housing also try to get a uh, rental property in this area that you can afford on a uh, kitchen staff in a in a restaurant or um, a housekeeper's um, income from a hotel here on the coast that supports our tourism industry and not have to move somewhere 20 or 30 miles inland to a small rural community or someplace like that and drive a half hour every day to your job. Um, it's tough, really hard to find housing close to the jobs here on the coast. So one of the things we pay attention to at Lane County is we're working to try and provide uh, more opportunities for housing to happen so the cost can come down. And therefore, the workforce can live here that will help develop you know, these entrepreneurs going will actually be able to hire people uh, and won't be competing for uh, workforce or having to find, you know, I, in the case of some folks up there in the seaside area of Oregon, they're actually providing space in their own homes for their employees to live because they can't get a find rental property anywhere near the seaside. So it's a tough issue, uh, economic development, multifaceted, but tonight there at the uh, State of the Startup with 
fourth Oregon Rain and uh, the Regional Accelerator and Innovation Network. That's what Rain stands for, not just that stuff we get all winter long. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the uh, tools that are available and mentoring and um, things that that Rain can provide to entrepreneurs that want to start a business here on the Oregon coast and uh, maybe don't know how to do it. They got that idea for that widget, you know, that is, you know, eventually they want to get on Shark Tank and get the major investment of how do you get between the idea and going to Shark Tank, you know, and being ready for them. That's what these folks can help you with. Um, and tonight, 5.30, City Lights Cinema, I'll be there. Uh, several other people will be there. If you're interested in starting a business, you should be there. If you can't be there, uh, you can contact me and I'll connect you with Carolyn Cummings uh, and the folks at Rain, and we'll 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 get you uh, the right level of, of mentoring and training and and tools toolkits to get you going. Um, and we'll hopefully get a new business started here in Oregon because you know one of the great things about starting a business with somebody that lives in Oregon, they aren't going to want to go away after the first winter. They know what winter's like here in Oregon. And they're most likely to stay here in Oregon as their business grows, just like some of the really successful businesses in uh, in Lane County that have grown here in Oregon. Uh, and as you look at, you know, down here in the Florence area, you know, it, it's those local businesses that stay here, that, that grew up here, not not the, the one that came in from, from some other state. Uh, it, we need to grow locally to, to grow our economy. It's something we really need to do here in in Lane County, and the folks at, at Rain can help you. The folks over at Fergie Lab, uh, LCC Business Center, uh, they've got some great training available. Uh, Lane Workforce Partnership has some great help with, with workforce and workforce training. Um, all sorts of tools available through Lane County, and our Economic Development Part Department at Lane County uh, recently developed a rural prosperity initiative that the board adopted and we actually just finished hiring our um, one of our economic development folks that is concentrating on that uh, Kim Walker she'll be there tonight uh, and we'll be introducing her to the public and it'll be uh, an opportunity um, for folks to meet some of the Carolyn Cummings rain and and all these folks from uh, Lane County uh, we just uh, are re-upping what used to be the Lane Metro Partnership. So I look forward to meeting people there. And I want to tell everybody thanks for listening to the Bo's Nose Show. And, you know, drop me a line on Facebook. I'm easy to reach. Uh, i got two Facebook pages. i got a personal one if you want to learn about my poodles and a county one if you want to learn about county. Um, message me on either one, and I'll get the message. Well, it's about it for the Bose Nose Show, coming to you live from downtown Florence, Oregon. Good night and have a great evening.